This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. It's Ashley Hales, host of the Finding Holy podcast. And I know we've had a little bit of a break here on the Finding Holy podcast. And so I am so excited to dig back in together, you guys, to talk about how do we connect the dots between the things that matter and our everyday holy lives. You won't want to miss this great conversation with my friend, Daryl Dash. Here's a little bit about him. Daryl Dash is pastor of Liberty Grace Church in Toronto, and he's the author of the book, How to Grow, Applying the Gospel to All of Your Life. It's a great book. He's also the co-founder of Gospel for Life and the director of Advanced Church Planting Institute. He has a doctor of ministry degree from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and has over 25 years of ministry experience. Daryl is married to Charlene and has two adult children, Christy and Josiah. You can find Daryl online at dashhouse.com. And I know that sounds like a lot and a lot of degrees, but here's the thing. Our conversation is practical, funny, inspiring. You don't want to miss it. Here's my conversation with Daryl. Welcome to season two of the Finding Holy podcast. My guest today is Daryl Dash from Toronto, and we are so excited to have him. He's going to tell us a little bit about what embodied faith practices look like, and I can't wait for you to listen in to this conversation. So thanks for joining us today, Daryl. Hey, Ashley, it is so good to be with you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you are so welcome. So I want to know, tell us a little bit about your own journey of faith. And we'll talk more about your book, How to Grow, in a little bit. But I want us just to get to know you a little bit. Tell us about your coming to know Jesus, what that looked like, what your practices of faith look like. Yeah, my story begins, I'm the the kid who's got, uh, you know, the boring testimony in no way. Uh, <laughs> I, I grew up in church and my father wasn't a believer. My mother was. And uh, this was back, you know, I'm, I'm 50, how old am I? 53. So this is back quite a ways. And my father, um, my, my parents had a very troubled marriage. And uh, my father, you know, he left. And I had the opportunity to see, you know, my mother going through the most difficult circumstance of her life and uh, really struggled. But I could tell that in the middle of that, her faith was real. And my dad, who wasn't a believer, even though he had the upper hand, I looked at his life and and saw it was ugly and there was a lot going on. It wasn't just because he was an unbeliever, but I saw, you know, the reality of Jesus in the crucible of suffering. Mm. And uh, so at an early age, I had the opportunity to see, you know, I think kids have this truth detector to, to see what's real and what's not. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesus became very real to me in the middle of that. And so at an early age, I came to uh, faith in Christ and, uh, uh, you know, it was, in, as I say, it's a boring testimony. It was actually in the middle of, of pretty tough stuff. And Jesus just became real to me. So, mm. um, yeah, so that's a little bit about how I came to faith. I never really rebelled that badly. So, you know, I think <laughs> I was one of these weird kids that, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's like, oh, do I have to tell you? Right. Uh, I got to be a pastor. And like, I wish I could tell you I wanted to be an astronaut or a firefighter or whatever, but. I just knew at an early age that um, that was what I was going to do, which is really weird. 
I don't know how that happened, but that it's okay. My husband has a kind of similar story, so <laughs> I'll have to talk to him sometime. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell us about you know you you mentioned the idea of suffering and and seeing it kind of in your parents' marriage falling apart. Um, how did that? how did faith kind of work itself into your body? And I know that's kind of a broad question, but here's what I'm trying to get at with that question is, you know, we can, we can tend to think of our, our faith as like all of these things we mentally assent to. And so what practices did you do even as a child or maybe as you grew to adulthood that helped root some of those questions and concerns, you know, seeing the suffering of your parents in your actual lived experiences versus, well, I know, just, you know, you could recite the creed or something. I, so I'm going to be totally honest. I think for a long time, I really didn't know how to integrate my faith with my experience. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I had all the theology and it was actually when I got married, um, you know, I kind of entered into marriage kind of thinking that I, this is going to sound, this is going to reveal me for the jerk that I am. But, (laughs) you know, I entered marriage thinking like, I think I got this thing kind of together. Right. It was looking in the mirror of uh, my wife's face and her reflecting back to me my actions. Uh, it, it was her saying to me, like, I think you're lying to yourself. So mm-hmm. I think you need to become a lot more real about what you're going through and especially what you're feeling and begin to bring that into the light. So when I grew up, um, I think what I did was I kind of took my feelings and put a bottle, put mm-hmm. them in a bottle and screwed the lid on and put them away. And then it would come out in all kinds of unhealthy ways, usually it would build up and then I would have maybe a, a little bit of a, a crisis. And um, Charlene helped me realize you got to acknowledge what's going on. It's obvious to me what's going on, but it's not obvious to you. So you need to bring it out into the open and actually mm. talk to others in community and talk to God about it. So yeah, it was only when I got married at the age of 23 that I began to uh, integrate, I think, my emotions and my experience with what I claim to believe. Mm. So that was a long time. That's great, though. I think I think there's a lot of us, though, that we kind of grew up in church and we have this sense of we know all these things are true, and yet it's not actually connecting to our actual everyday lives. So tell us a little bit about what that kind of experience was in your early 20s and where, you, where you've come today. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> what it was like when I got married is – uh, I'm fine. And, you know, you're the one with a problem. Right. <laughs> Again, I was a total jerk. And Charlene's like, I don't think you're that fine. And it's, it's led to today where, um, you know, one of the routines that we have is every morning, I just came through suffering again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have a coffee. So, you know, we go through our morning routine. I get up a bit earlier than Charlene. But when we get up together, we have breakfast. But this is the key. We have We connect, and for about 15 minutes or half an hour, we have coffee together. And what used to be kind of bottled away or, you know, like I would store it. Now it's just like, and it's hard to actually separate. Like part of my communion with God is my communion with my wife, and we Mm. pray together. And just bringing to light a day what our everyday experience is and talking through that. And um, we finish that coffee time with praying together. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, Pete Scazzaro uh, talks about emotionally healthy spirituality. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I had correct theology. Mm -hmm. And then it's gotten to the point where now I think I'm, I wouldn't say I'm there, but I think that we're moving in that direction anyway of 
emotionally healthy spirituality, like just being honest with God and each other in community mm-hmm. about what's really going on and living that together with, without as much pretense. I wouldn't say without pretense, but without as much pretense with mm. leaning into that honesty. Yeah, that's great. And I think, you know, you bring up a lot of important points, things like suffering, um, emotional availability, transparency, vulnerability, um, and that this is a process, right, of of communion, like in marriage with with God um, and within the church. So I think those are just really helpful kind of frameworks for us to understand. I think oftentimes when we think about our spiritual growth, we think of kind of mountaintop experiences um, in the kind of evangelical traditions. And it's just great to know we can actually get it into our bodies in normal everyday ways, for sure. Absolutely. So tell us about your book, How to Grow, because it's really a kind of discipleship resource for the church, but it talks about kind of getting faith into our daily lives in practical ways. So tell us maybe just two sentences about your book um, and where you saw the need for it. Why did you write it? What I saw was we went through a bit of a transformation physically and began to build good habits. Uh, And we realized, you know, we used the service and realized they were discipling us in uh, good habits, nutrition and with nutrition and body. Mm -hmm. And we began to see the gap within our own church that we weren't doing as good a job helping people integrate the gospel into their everyday life. So that's how I began to write the book, just thinking about, in a, a rare, real local church context, how can we bring the gospel to everyday life? Everything from, you know, not just Sundays, but Monday to Saturday as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what have you found, what were some of the crossovers between, you know, the nutrition discipleship and going to the gym and eating well that you saw? What were the sorts of habits that they, they inculcated and what, what have you kind of gleaned from that? Yeah, well, I mean, a couple things. First thing would be, uh, I think, the importance of habits and even how to build a habit, um, which I began to realize, you know, we're all different. I tend to build habits very differently from other people I've learned. I thought that everybody did it the same way. Um, I think the second thing I learned is the importance of key habits. And, mm-hmm. you know, in, in nutrition, they, they gave us a few key habits and they said, there's a lot of other things you can do, but these, these three or four things Mm-hmm. are really the key habits to keep returning to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I be- we began to think about that spiritually, like mm-hmm. what are the key habits? And we landed on three that I think are the most critical. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think the importance of um, integrating faith with every part of life. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just um, this is a spiritual part of life and now I'm going to move on to the rest of life. Mm-hmm. No, it, every part of life is lived in God's presence and under God's rule. So beginning to think about how to, to bring our the gospel mm-hmm. into how we sleep and how we eat and how mm. we relate to each other, how we think. And, and mm. yeah, those are some of the highlights, I think. Yeah. And so tell us, just would you name those three habits for us? Yeah, the three habits. They sound so simple. And yet I've discovered that a lot of us aren't doing them. Right. Uh, the first one is to engage with scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is to pray. And the final one is to get involved in the life of a church, not just mm-hmm. attending, but actually getting involved in community and worship. Um, and those sound so like, whenever I talk about them, I feel kind of embarrassed. Because, <laughs> like read the Bible, pray and go to church, basically, right? right? Like, duh. Yeah. Um, but no, I think, you know, here in the suburbs in Southern California, in our church plant, those are challenges that, you know, people, yeah. they don't feel like they need the Bible or they know it, or, you know, it's too obtuse or, you know, they 
they will skip church for soccer practices. And there's a plethora of reasons that those are not normal habits for, for this day and age. Absolutely. I think the most encouraging thing that I've heard is from a few people. I think of uh, one person who's actually, she's a pastor's wife. She's, mm-hmm. I would consider her to be um, somebody that I look up to in a lot of ways. And she said, she just felt kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. And going through this brought her back to the simplicity of, okay, it's not rocket science. Like right. it's, I think that a lot of life is returning to the basics and mastering the basics. Mm-hmm. And it just helped her to return to, I think I can do this. I think mm-hmm. I can develop a fairly simple, consistent routine that will help me get the basics in place mm-hmm. and uh, begin to reignite my growth. So I think a lot of us feel stuck. Yeah. And we're yeah. like, what do we do? And it's, it's, we think it's going to be doing something advanced. And usually Mm -hmm. it's returning actually to the basics and getting those down. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think of quite a few stories, but I think of this one pastor's wife that was like, this just helped me return to the basics Mm -hmm. and make it achievable again, make it something Mm -hmm. that I can build consistency into my life around these three practices. Mm -hmm. What would you say to people who are like kind of allergic to the idea of habits and that feels really stifling? What I would say to you is uh, you're in very good company. Uh, (laughs) uh, And I I think that, you know, the reality is all of us. So, okay, I'm, I don't know if you've read Gretchen uh, Rubin's work on habits Mm -hmm. and she talks about some, some of us are upholders where habits come pretty easily to us. So I'm an upholder, Mm -hmm. but she says the problem is all the books on habits are written by upholders right? and they're completely useless to everybody else because not everybody is built that way. Right. So I would say, you know, all of us live life by habit. You've just got to figure out what works for you. Don't listen to people like me. Uh, at least don't listen to me and what works for me. Figure mm. out what works for you. Mm. So, you know, I'm so grateful for my wife who's not an upholder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of told her, you know, you need to do this. And she came back to me three months later and said, you've just set me back about three months in my habits because you tried to impose <laughs> what works on with you on me. Right, right. And what she had to do is to look at her own life and figure out, you know, I'm very different from Daryl. What can I do that works for me? Mm-hmm. And she's been able to kind of reignite with her personality style. So I would say like, look at a time in your life when you were able to actually do something that mattered to you and mm. build a, a good habit mm-hmm. and hack yourself rather than you know, just importing what works for other people. Mm, uh, Become a student of yourself. I think that's really helpful. Yeah. um, So tell us, kind of maybe pick one, if it's the Bible reading or prayer, um, going to church, obviously your pastor, so you're kind of, that's a, you know, (laughs) self-imposed habit, (laughs) required habit. Have Um, to do it. Right. But um, what, in what ways have you kind of embraced kind of this tangible sense of, of these habits, right? Because I think we can tend to think of Christianity, right, as just I read my Bible and so it's all in my head, or I'm praying and it's all in my head. And we kind of lose the rich texture of community, of, you know, of our bodies. So, how have you, have you, do you have any hacks on either scripture reading or prayer that's helped kind of ground it in your body. So whether, you know, you walk when you pray or what are the, what are some of your own habits or habits of those that you've worked with? You know, for me, um, I, I'm kind of a weird uh, Enneagram three, if you know that. It's an yes. And I wake up with a to-do list in my head. Right. And one of the key things for me has been, because I can just rush through the good habits, almost mm-hmm. like, oh, Leah, I got to achieve these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what I've done actually that helps bring it from being a task or um, something that's just disembodied 
is actually I began to use, uh, I have an Apple watch and then mm-hmm. there's the, it sounds weird, but there's the breathing app on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I wake up, because I, I need to slow down, like mm-hmm. I, I wake up at full throttle. And before I read my Bible, uh, I just usually, I don't do it consistently, but I try mm-hmm. to get the uh, that app going and just breathe for two minutes. Mm-hmm. That, for, that works for me. It probably won't work for that many people. But for me, it's just like, you know what? Like, slow down. And you're about to not just read the Bible. You're about to encounter God. So mm-hmm. instead of racing through this as a task, like, just slow the RPMs right. down and and sit in this chair and actually just be present. So right. yeah, I find that helps me enter into it with the right frame of mind rather than, you know, whipping through it is another thing to do right. before they get yeah, on to I the think, next. I think that's, you know, a very small thing, but I think it's extremely helpful. It, you know, it, I think as we approach issues, I think there's two sides, right? We need to both kind of say that all of our life is within the presence of God, but also when, you know, when we, come to God directly through prayer, through scripture reading, that that there's something important and sacred and that we need to mark that time. And I can see that even just like, hey, I'm going to breathe for two minutes as one way to help kind of mark that time as sacred. Absolutely. And especially, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people that these good habits become to-do items. Mm. And yeah, so I think how do we reframe, and everyone's different, how do we reframe it so it's not just another task? Mm. But it's actually a relational thing where we're meeting with God himself. Right. Like, could you imagine if, you know, your date night was just like, okay, check that off. Right. That's right. <laughs> can, I, can we move on? I got something right. else to do. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Oh, I think that's great. Do you have any um, tips, points um, for us to think about how how to do that? How do we kind of jog our imaginations away from relating to God like a task? I think everybody's so different. And uh, I know for me, uh, I've got, I mean, for me, it's a slowing down and mm-hmm. reminding myself. One of the things I try to remind myself is like the Pharisees were amazing at keeping habits and they mm. completely missed the point. So I always try to remind myself like that the habit is valuable, but only in as much as it leads me to God. Mm. Uh, if I if I do the habit and I miss God, I've missed the whole point. So mm. yeah, it's just, I don't know. I feel like I struggle in this. It's almost like a daily reminder to focus mm-hmm. on the main thing mm-hmm. rather than missing the point completely. Right, right. Because then, you know, it's just another record of self-righteousness that, you know, yeah. hey, look, I've I've done all my three habits uh, yeah. Yeah, this week. Um, yeah, I think, I, you know, things that, I, that have helped me is also involving the life of the community. So mm. like doing a community Bible reading that that's been hugely instrumental for us and our church. Um, my husband and I have recently started doing the um, praying the hours. Um, just yeah. certain things like that that will help kind of ground us mm-hmm. um, and to give some accountability too. Absolutely, yeah. And to realize we're all learners. We're all learners, and this is also where we experience grace is in the failure of our habits or using our habits inappropriately. Yeah, I think the the community helps. So I, I mentioned suffering. Like um, mm-hmm. we went through, like you were involved in church planning and we went through some difficult periods related to, you know, some stuff in our family and that kept it real. Like when you go through suffering, mm-hmm. you, there's a point of desperation. Well, I was reading yesterday, second Corinthians where uh, in chapter one, Paul says, 
you know, he's talking about suffering. He says, this came from God, like that God used this mm-hmm. to teach us not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on him. Mm-hmm. And man, there's, I don't know if I'm grateful for suffering, but I'm grateful in the middle of suffering that God brings us to rely on him. And I think that suffering is a great way to focus not on the habits, but to focus on God through the habits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, you know, that these habits are avenues for connection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rather than the end. Um or like A plus Christian. <laughs> yeah, <sorry. laughs> yeah, no, but I think it's really important. Uh, the suffering has come up a few times in our conversation. Um, are there other things that you've noticed? Um, you know, are there, are there other things like that that you've noticed have, have been kind of this spiritual detox um, for your, for you and for your life and your growth and grace? You know, uh, so uh, every Tuesday night we have a small group at our house and um, I always tell people like our church isn't that impressive. Uh, and I mean that like, we're mm-hmm. not, if you want all the bells and whistles, we're not the place. But, <laughs> um, when people come, you know, I, I kind of begin as a small group leader mm-hmm. and we have some people who just show up and they're pretty honest. And so if the scripture doesn't make sense, they just say it. Or if they've had, they've had a bad week, they just say it. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the line every week, I go from being, like, I'm the leader, I'm here to lead this, to being like, oh man, like, are you guys hungry? Because I am famished. And it switches from me being the leader to me being like, man, nobody needs this more than I do. So mm. I think just the, and this is hard for people in leadership, like pastors or mm-hmm. small group leaders, but I think just being, again, like you've said, grounded in community. And, you know, when we lead, we have the Lord's Supper every week. I always tell people like, you guys might not need this, there's nobody hungrier for this than I mm. am. I always find that when I go to another church too, I, I kind of show up with this clipboard in my head. Like right. I'm going to take notes and glean and critique. And about the first song in, I'm like, forget that. Like, <laughs> I am famished. Yes. Like I, I feel like I haven't eaten in a week. Yes. And I just need, you know, I just need God's presence so desperately. And mm-hmm. I don't say that as somebody who's spiritual. I say that as somebody who's desperate, right? Mm. Somebody who needs God's grace so much in my life. So mm. yeah, I think just being, you know, self, being re- increasingly reliant, desperate for God and being grounded in community helps to point that out, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Will you just speak for a minute about the importance of the local church and the importance of showing up to church? You, you mentioned that, you know, as one of these habits. Um and I think there's been, for right and wrong reasons, distrust of institutions and church and, you know, Me Too movement. And there's so many things that have made church unsafe for people. Um, but, but like you say in your book, you know, the church is Christ's bride and he died for her. And, um, and so we have a duty to love her and to honor her and to respect her. Um, so what would, if I would just love to hear you speak for just a minute on how the church has been, you know, why it's integral to this embodied sense of faith. And, you know, for those people maybe who might feel burnt by the church, what can we do? How can they kind of get their toes wet? You know, whenever I talk to somebody about the church, I say, I get it. Like, I, it is hard. And I think relationships in general are costly. Yeah, uh, but the church. I mean, if you're really going to engage with the church, uh, it's going to hurt at some point. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be very, I would say, even disillusioning. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that on the other side of that is 
you know, pushing through and realizing it's going to cost and be uncomfortable. Uh, on the other side is something that we desperately need, which is, um, as you say, like we are not meant to live the Christian life on our own. Mm-hmm. We were built for community. I think mm-hmm. the, the community that we're, we were built for is a valuable one and it's going to take sacrifice. So, you know, I think actually being in ministry doesn't exempt you from that. It gives you I went through a period of about 10 years where even while I was pastoring, I was very disillusioned with the church. Mm. And uh, I went, I got through to the other side where I realized, man, I desperately need this. Is it inconvenient? Yes. (laughs) I love the, I love how Paul so often talks about like, don't grumble, uh, put up with one another. Like Paul's pretty honest about it. This is not a glorious thing, right? Like bear with one another, you know, bear each other's burdens, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we don't grumble with each other. So mm-hmm. even in the Bible, I think there's this recognition of like, this is not an easy, like church is a mess. People are messy. <laughs> right. And yet there's something that happens when we get together mm-hmm. and where we're known by others, where we're loved. And that sometimes when we're, we have to push past our own selfishness. I think that God uses the church to really grow us. You know, God uses dull sermons. <laughs> uh, God uses messy people. Mm-hmm. God uses people that drive us crazy sometimes, and God uses the beauty of community to begin to shape us into the people that we need to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think that, you know, again, I get it, and yet I think we all need it, and it, mm-hmm. I think it comes at a cost, and we need to be honest about that cost. Mm. And where do you see um, the value of counting that cost of being a part of the church um, or that people are getting it, you know, that people are getting the gospel in their bones, in their bodies, that they're showing up, that they are willing to count the cost. I mean, I think I've seen just so much this kind of consumer mentality come into the church, you know, that church is for me to fulfill this kind of emotional need um, or, you know, when I'm suffering, it's, it's, it's valuable, but otherwise, I don't really need to be a part of this sort of thing. Um, do you have any thoughts on those topics? Yeah. Uh, so the, you put, hit the nail on the head. The main obstacle to entering into community, I think, is uh, a consumeristic mindset. And, you know, again, I think it's um, pushing past that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've read uh, Scott Peck talks about, you know, when you enter into community initially, it's this very, you know, surface level thing. Everything's kind of neat and um, you kind of like it. And then he says, you can't, it's, he calls it pseudo community. Mm. And then when you push past that, it gets really kind of ugly and you're known mm-hmm. and you're kind of repulsed because it's very messy and mm-hmm. other people are ticking you off. <laughs> and he says, at that point, most of us either ditch on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Or we go back to pseudo community. Right. And he says, if you really push past that, if you get past your own selfishness, you enter into true community, which is, it's messy, but it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I think for consumers, I would say, like, you've got a, a really poor product. Like, if you approach community, pseudo community, like, if you approach churches mm-hmm. as a consumer product, the best you'll ever get is pseudo community. Mm-hmm. And it is it is not satisfying. Mm-hmm. We need to abandon our consumeristic mindset and push through the mess because it does get messy to what he calls true community. Mm. And it, you know, it, I don't think you ever get to that point without being tempted to bail on it. Right. But once you get to true community, it is so much better than mm. the consumeristic version of pseudo community that we settle for so often. Mm. So I would say like, just keep at it. It's like marriage, right? Like, 
Right. Marriage is great. Like you get married, it is awesome, right? Like every, <laughs> you see every couple at the, the uh, altar. Right. They are ecstatic, right? Right. And then you talk to them like a few weeks later or a few months later and they're like, oh man, it's hard. Right. But it took us about 12 years to get to, you know, past the mess of like to true community. Right. And then yeah. once we got to that, it's like, oh man, that was hard. But I can't imagine going back. Like it is so mm. worth it to push past all the mess yeah. and get to this point. Mm, mm. That's a great analogy. So helpful. So Daryl, I always like to close out my podcast interviews and by asking people about their laundry routines because <laughs> things, big things matter. Yeah. So does the laundry. And it's always good to figure out what the gospel has to say for, like you were saying, how we eat, how we sleep, and also how we do the laundry. So tell us your laundry routine. Yeah. So Saturday is our, our chore day. And uh, basically, you know, I, I told you I wake up with a to-do list on my head uh, and we, we jump, I jump out of bed and um, here's two ways I think the gospel has helped me with my laundry. Ooh, I love it. You know, I, I used to turn on the laundry thing and uh, we live in a condo. And my daughter eventually said, like, hold on, like, you're waking me up. Uh, so could you not do laundry early? And part of me wants to say, like, wake up. Right? <laughs> yeah, and I've I'm doing to, your laundry. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I've had to, I mean, an act, and I don't do this super well all the time, but uh, just loving her enough to say, okay, yeah, I will wait. And it took me a little while to get past my own, like, you know, re initial reaction to her, which was like, you adapt to me. I'm not adapting to you. Right. I think the other way is, uh, Shardine and I, again, I've talked to you about how different we are. Mm -hmm. um, she's very careful with the laundry. Uh, I tend to, I'm getting better, but I tend to be like, get her done. So, right. Uh, and another way I've done, I, I think we're beginning to adapt to each other. And this is part of how the gospel applies is, mm -hmm. you know, how can I honor her in the way that I do laundry? So sometimes like even just doing things her way instead of my way, hmm. or sometimes, and this, this is going to sound weird, sometimes letting her do the laundry, which is, it doesn't sound that sacrificial, but actually <laughs> I think it's sacrificial for both of us to let mm -hmm. the other one do the laundry mm -hmm. because we both have our kind of different ways of doing it. Yeah. And I think both of us have learned like, you know what? I think we're going to put away our own preferences and let the other one, you know, kind of have this one because the relationship matters a lot more than getting the job done. Right. So, oh, that's yeah, great. I think the gospel even applies to laundry. It does. It does. Oh, well, thank you so much, Daryl, for being with us. I think those three habits about reading the Bible, praying, going to church, they're simple, but they, they actually form the texture of our spiritual lives. So thank you so much for being with us. And I'll make sure that all of the information about Daryl and his book is at aahales.com slash podcast. Thanks for being Ashley, here. thank you. And I'm a big fan of your work. So thank oh, you very thank much. Thank you. You are welcome. Appreciate you being here. Take care. It's a privilege. Thank you. hope you enjoyed that conversation with Daryl Dash. He is really thoughtful and insightful. And what is so beautiful is that these three habits that he mentioned, nothing is big, right? Reading the Bible, praying, committing, and showing up to church are not life-changing things. And yet they are, right? Because those three habits form the texture of the Christian life. And it can be tempting to take some of what he says, things like, you know, trying to get that to-do list out of his head or slowing down and breathing and being still and silent before God is simply just kind of a new, cool, hip spirituality, the spirituality of the day. 
And yet, the thing with these sorts of habits is that they actually help bring us into a deeper relationship with Jesus and into a deeper relationship with his people, the church. So I want to encourage you to view these habits, not simply as, hey, this sounds like something cool and hip and fun and new to do, but actually as just the ins and outs, the laundry and the liturgy and the washing up of our Christian faith. So here's your one small step. I'm going to invite you to join me in this as a way to take this conversation into your everyday holy life. And here it is. Will you commit with me for the next 21 days, because 21 days makes a habit, to read your Bible? And it doesn't have to be big, and it doesn't have to be long and drawn out. Maybe start real small. Start with just one verse a day, and trust that the Holy Spirit will be able to work that truth into your life as you go about your day, whether that's commuting, whether that's doing the dishes or doing the laundry, because big things matter, but so does the laundry. So thanks for joining me, guys. I hope that you'll head on over to iTunes and subscribe, share an episode with a friend who might want just a small next step to begin to have an embodied faith that affects not just their Sundays, but every day. This episode was brought to you in part by The Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.